Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right, here we go. Here we go. This ride is it's taken off. We're leaving the station. We're leaving the airport. Man, I'm gonna have so much fun on this one. Everyone listening is the guest and I. We we've been dying to have this conversation, um, and he's here. He is here in the building, um, or whatever building he's in. And I gotta tell you, he is often called a human key, a key. And if you just think about a room next door full of revenue for your company, he is the guy that goes to that door and unlocks the thing. And how does he do it? With psychology and technology. So this is going to be just one of those really cool episodes where we just dive into how we can use psych and behavioral, you know, people's behaviors to just figure out how to get them uh, to become our customers. A marketing advisor, a thought leader, a coach. He works with CMOs and VPs of gigantic brands. He's been doing it for two decades. Frequent contributor to ad week Forbes. We were just chatting. He just launched a piece on Inc about the metaverse host of the marketing leaders podcast, president of Parkin consulting, Tim Parkin. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much, Casey. I am stoked to be here. We've been talking about this for a month and a half now. And as you said, just so excited to be on your show, talk with your audience and share all the things I've learned, all the mistakes I've made. And most importantly, talk about this uh, really big idea that I've seen, which is just that, you know, the oh, key oh, to hold revenue. Hold on, hold on. First okay. things first. I'll wait. I got to pass you this thing. It's heavy. Don't smash that myth without this in your hands. Ugh. Okay, here you go. Can you grab it? Oh, Thor's my hammer? goodness. That's crazy. Let me get that. Got it? Okay. Oh, yeah, you got it. Hey, oh, Jesus, so for those heavy. not watching, he just literally backhanded Thor's hammer and just grabbed it one-handed like a boss. So, Tim, take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. Yeah, you know, I, this may shock people, Casey, so I'm not sure they're ready for this. Oh, but shock them. This is the hardcore <laughs> marketing show, man. They're used, they're like, if you don't shock them, they're going to go bounce. Let's do it. Well, here you go. You know, the key to growth, everyone is striving for growth, for revenue, for higher margins. And we're all looking, we've been looking in the wrong places. We think that we need more customers. We think we need to increase average order value. We think we need the new technologies and AI to save us. And none of that is the key to growth, to transformative growth. The thing is, we need to take marketing and turn it inside out. That if you really want to grow, if you really want to have transformative success, you need to focus internally rather than externally. You need to focus on your team and your processes and your marketing rather than your customers. Dare I say, you need to ignore your customers and forget about your customers before you get this right. Because if you don't, it's going to cost you millions and millions of dollars. So you just literally said, ignore your customers until you get this part right. Absolutely. That's I think some, so. That's some, that's some shocking words. I think we're all intrigued now. We want to hear this. Yeah. What, you know, your customers are often. Yeah. Customers are heralded as this uh, supplier of all of our revenue and all of our income. Right. And the reality is, is you can't serve your customers. You can't understand your customers. You can't market to your customers until you have your house in order. And I, as you mentioned, I work with huge companies and you would be shocked. You think from the outset that they have big teams and big budgets and they've figured it all out. 
No, no one has figured this out. And so you really have to get your house in order and have your team and your processes be in a place where they can be repeatable and predictable. And that's the key to marketing. Marketing is not some magic or science. It's more of a process than anything else. And I can't tell you how many times I've been into a company, whether it's a startup or an enterprise level company, and it's just absolute chaos. And the lack of consistency and predictability and clarity within the team, within their approach, within their strategy, within their processes is absolutely missing. And so this is, I think, an epidemic in our industry. And it's something that people are not talking about because there's this constant focus on being customer centric and all this buzzword nonsense. We need to stop that and we need to fix the root cause here. Yeah, there is a lot of the buzzword stuff out there. I cringe every time I see it. A lot of fellow marketers are like on the yippee bandwagon on LinkedIn, just supporting each other. And just part of me is just like, yeah, but that's kind of buzzy. I don't really feel like sharing that. That's not, that's not, it's a distraction. There's so many distractions. And I hear you on the big companies. I, all you have to do is, is sort of work with one of them to realize, yeah, they don't have, it's not like they magically figured something out and, and they're good, but all the small companies haven't quite, no, there's some big problems there too. And I think the quote that I love, you, you just said, I wrote down was that the key to marketing isn't magic or science, it's process. And I think if I was to frame a quote of what you said on the show, like that's the thing, like it's process. I can't wait to dive into that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I tell you on a daily basis, I'm dealing with companies that have all sorts of issues and it always comes back to process. It's there wasn't a process or there was and it wasn't followed or the process wasn't clearly defined or documented or understood. It always comes back to being a process issue. And even companies that want to innovate and push further, it's because they need to develop new processes that will help them to do that, that will help them develop new habits and ensure that new things take place. And so everything points back to process. And that is the key to unlocking true growth is the formula for performance is people plus process equals performance. And you can have great people, but if you have no process or terrible processes that aren't followed, you're never going to reach peak performance. And so you have to have the right people, excellent people who are highly skilled, and you have to have solid, repeatable, consistent, documented processes that will take you there. How do you know if you have that? I can imagine people listening, thinking, I probably don't, but help me confirm if I do or don't have solid process. Yeah, there's a couple of ways you can tell. I mean, the first is if you think every day is different and unpredictable, <laughs> then right away, you know, you don't have enough process in place. Uh, and so looking for signs like that, or someone, something goes wrong, or someone doesn't know what to do, or something didn't get followed. I'll give you a tangible example. One of my clients had a security issue. It wasn't their fault, but it was an industry-wide security issue. And they had to put out some crisis communication. Marketing was obviously involved. No one knew what to do. And no one knew how to decide if this is a really big issue, who should be involved. How should we communicate? What should we communicate? Who should be involved in that communication? So that's a great example of right there. You say, this is an issue. We need to fix it. And we need to fix it for next time because it's going to happen again. Now, I mean, but, you know, to be on kind of devil's advocate on that, maybe that's something that doesn't happen very often. Security issue or, or did it there at that company? Yeah, the security issue hasn't happened, but there will be other issues like that. And so anytime something unexpected happens, and that's an extreme example, you want to make sure you create a process around it. Certainly, very few things happen once and only once. And so there will be another type of issue that needs crisis communication. It may not be a security issue. It may be a personnel issue. It may be a company issue, something of that effect. But you need to put that process in place. 
And I think a lot of times process sounds too formal than it really is. Yeah. It's just a matter of dictating and writing down, here's who needs to be involved and here's the steps we'll take to do this. So you can pull it up when you need to and say, we have a plan and now we can follow that. You don't need some software for this necessarily. You don't need any complicated system. You just have to decide and write this down, what's going to happen and who needs to be involved. That's so helpful because you know, I think there's words that just can mean scary things. Process just feels scary, I think, to a, a lot of us. But when you boil it down to, okay, who should be there? Who should be involved? And what actions are we going to take? I can handle that. <laughs> it's true, right? Yeah, it's, it doesn't have to be hard. And uh, as marketers, especially, we tend to make things a lot harder than they should be. Yeah. And there's a great book out you know, called The Checklist Manifesto. It's very old, but it talks about how ch- people had checklists and they followed them. You know, if you think about surgeries or um, airline pilots, you know, they follow a checklist and there's a reason they do that. You know, they know what to do. They've done it hundreds and thousands of times, but the checklist helps keep them honest and helps make sure that everything is followed. All the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted. And that's really important. And so that's really what process is about is how can we make this repeatable? How can we make it consistent? And how can we make sure that the communication flows out of that so that everyone knows what's going on? I think alongside process, one of the other issues, the biggest issues in marketing teams is a lack of communication, you know, collaboration, communication. It's even more difficult now with remote teams. Many companies are not familiar with how to manage that, how to navigate that, how to communicate remotely or asynchronously. So communication is another part of process that you have to have a process of communication. Got it. Who's involved? What steps are we going to take and how are we going to communicate it? And I I can see now to the point about Maybe you're not going to have a security issue happen that often. So maybe that caught you off guard, but that fits under the category of an oh shit crisis communication type moment. Totally. And of any kind of moments you should plan for, you should probably plan for those. So having a loose plan of who needs to be involved, like when this seems like a bad thing, who should be involved? What are we going to do? Whatever, you know, in even if you need to adjust that plan, at least you have a starting point and you're not running around everyone being like, oh no, what do we do? adding to the crisis. Totally. Yeah. And it gets even more complicated. You know, a lot of my clients uh, have multiple agencies, you know, PR agencies and things of the like sure. in multiple markets, you know, so North America, EMEA, Asia Pacific, et cetera. So coordinating all those people and figuring out who needs to be involved, making sure we're not stepping on each other's toes, it becomes a nightmare and a mess. And so if you want to, you know, really make sure you're on the same page, align your team, this is really important, not just for crises, but for anything else, you know, any other, um, information you're putting out there, your social media strategy, your sales team. There's so many areas where you have to have process. And shockingly, many companies don't, many marketing teams don't. Yeah. They just don't have that. So where do I start? Is there like a ground zero? Is there a starting point? I'm thinking like Candyland or shoots and ladders. What is the go spot? Where do I start? Cause I assume uh, my process is, I think probably everyone listening think, Every day does kind of feel like a different day. Where do I start with process? Yeah, step zero is really a responsibility matrix, which is listing out who is everyone on your team and what are they responsible for? What's their domain of ownership? And this is often referred to as a RACI matrix, R-A-C-I. And you basically outline, here's everyone, here's all the stuff we're doing. And now let's assign people to the stuff we're doing. And the RACI, R-A-C-I, stands for different types of involvement. So someone could be responsible for something or accountable for something or consulted on something or informed about something. And so when you start to map out this RACI matrix, you can see here's all the stuff we're doing. Here's all the people we have. And here's 
where and when they're involved. That's the foundation for understanding, okay, now we know who the players are and, and where they need to be involved. Now what's the process we need to put in place based on each of those items? Got it. So at least knowing the people on the team, who should be consulted, it, that just gives you a framework to understand when it comes to taking action, who, who's probably going to be taking action and who needs to be in the communication loop, to your point. Right. And when you map this out, you, you see instantly a couple of really interesting things. One of those being you'll find people who are not involved when they should be. And so you need to adjust that. You need to fix that. Um, but also you'll find people who are involved in everything. And I'm sure listeners right now can, can imagine people on their team, maybe it's them, who are involved in way too many things. They shouldn't be. And this is one of the most common issues I see when working with teams of any size is there's someone who has, by their own volition or otherwise, taken over control of far too much stuff. And marketing in general, as, as an industry, we have too many responsibilities. You know, We get thrown stuff over the fence and say, do this and do that. So we don't have time for it. And so you have to identify these people who are overwhelmed, overloaded, involved in too many things, and then fix that. And that's usually where we start. Yeah, I love that because so much about marketing is prioritization. And you can't yes. do everything because we cover everything. You can't do it all right now. So what do you, what's the rock this quarter? What's the priority? What's the goal? And, and half of that is, what am I accountable to? Like, what, what do I own here? And you know, what's the key metric I need to move? I remember working with one marketing team and here we are really focused on trying to get their lead numbers and their sales process so that you know, sales could actually be calling people. They didn't really have that. So we're trying to build that from scratch. And then out comes a request from left field saying, hey, we need to do this video about this, this holiday and some other geo that we want to get all the people together and do a, this like real complicated video about this holiday that the customers certainly didn't care about. But like, I was just like, oh no, uh, can, who owns this? You know, do right. does marketing have to own this? Do we have to have this in and not be involved in too much like you're describing. Uh, wow. It's so common. Yeah. And I love what you said about prioritizing because I'm always telling my clients, you have to prioritize ruthlessly. You know, you have to be brutal about this. You can't be like, well, we have these priorities and those priorities. No, you have to say, this is our sole priority. And so another framework on top of RACI is uh, OKRs, which I'm a huge fan of and I get all my clients on. And that stands for objectives and key results for the listeners. You know what? And you know, I hear I've heard about OKRs a lot. I don't know if I've ever done like a, a real understanding learning dive into it. So maybe you could just teach me like a baby, like a caveman with a hat on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, totally. Yeah, let's do OKRs. Yeah, it was created by IBM and, and now companies like Google use it. And it's really effective because it's just so simple. Objectives and key results are the two components. So you have objectives and you have key results. And it's a way to align your team and also keep everyone focused on your goals. And so you define a couple of objectives. Again, you have to prioritize here. So you need to have a few. I would say four is enough, but less than that is better. And so an objective is a strategic goal or aim. And so it's not something tangible. You know? So uh, for example, it would be you know, establishing yourself as a leader in the North American market. That's an objective. You can't really measure that. And that's intentional. Uh, underneath the objective, you have three typically supporting key results. Those are measurable. And so you might say, in order to reach our objective, we need to uh, open you know, 20 new accounts, increase revenue by X, you know, something very measurable that you can count. Sure. And so then now your team can take those key results and, and develop their plans and their tactics and their 
activities based around how do we move the needle on those key results. And the thought process of OKRs is that if you accomplish your key results, you will accomplish your objective. Mm. And so those things roll up together. But one level beyond that, then you can stack objectives. So you can have a corporate objective and you can have a marketing department objectives. And then underneath that, you could have individual objectives. So you can use this for your team to say, here's how I want our team to improve, you know, uh, organizationally. Here's how I want John and Susan to improve individually, and they can have their own key results. So it's a really great hierarchy of alignment and performance and just measurement. So it's really effective and really simple, which I think is the most important part. Yeah, it is simple. That makes total sense. I, I like the idea of some things you can track and some things that kind of just ethereal. Um, what right. would be what would be a good key result that would help you establish? You mentioned like be the leader in North America or whatnot. What kind of a, a key result would you use to help you get there? Yeah, there's a couple. So one, like I mentioned, would be uh, landing new accounts. So if you could penetrate more of the market, you know, that would make demonstrate that you're a leader. Another might be, you know, more press coverage. And so, you know, we want to have, I don't know, 30 press coverages in, in major outlets, you know, this year. And so that would be another um, obvious key result. Uh, another could be, you know, more partnerships because that would lead to us becoming well-connected and, you know, more established, et cetera. So we want to, you know, acquire seven new key partnerships. So those are all examples of types of key metrics, but then key results. But you can see from that, now we know what to do. Well, how do we get more partnerships and how do we get more press coverage? So it very clearly guides you and the team on what's important and you're working towards a strategic objective by following those key results. I love that. I love that. So that's, so that's another great example of how to do it. Yeah, it's, it's simple, but it, the hard part is in the execution. You know, none of this stuff is complicated. The hard part is getting the people aligned and keeping them accountable and, and honest about doing this. And, you know, I think transparency is paramount here. You have to let the team see what's going on, uh, but also you have to set really good expectations, you know, with the team of what's expected of them and from them. Uh, and like I said, you have to hold them accountable. That's the hardest part. Right, right. Okay. And if I, if I do this, then I'm free to then go after my customers and do the marketing we talked about at the very top? Not yet. God. Because there's another component. <clears throat> and that other component is the skills of your team. Okay. You know, I, I'm constantly talking to clients who uh, their team is just underskilled for what they're trying to do. And you're going to, you know, throw bad money over good uh, trying to market to your customer when you don't have the skills that you need. And so it's really important to make sure your team has the skills that they need. You know, marketing, the one thing marketing does is it changes every single day almost. And so if you're not up to date on the latest features of the platforms or tactics or whatever, you're going to be wasting your time and wasting your money. And so I, I can't tell you how many millions of dollars I've seen just completely wasted on tragic marketing that, you know, something wasn't configured right, the targeting was wrong, the message made no sense. I mean, there's so many problems and issues. So you really have to make sure your team is up to stuff. And oftentimes executives think, well, I hired someone who has a lot of experience or someone's really smart. That doesn't mean anything. You know, what matters is their skills on the front lines. Can they actually do this? So don't get you know, confused by that. You really need to have someone make sure that your team is up to snuff and, and also be providing your team with ongoing training and access to supporting materials and the latest stuff. Get them in a community of marketers. You know, do what you need to do to get them the right skills because otherwise you're just wasting your time and money. Got it. 
Is there a, is there a matrix I should be filling out related to skills? There's a lot of ways to go about it, but I would say, <laughs> you know, marketing keeps changing. And so that's the hard thing to measure. Yeah. And, you know, my clients often hire me to help train their teams. And one of the things we've done is uh, we use internal people of the team to help train the rest of the team. And that cross-pollination is extremely powerful, you know, in programming, and we can talk about programming, I know our background here, but um, there's a thing called pair programming, where one person doesn't sit down and write code, you have two people working on one computer writing code. And everyone always says, that's stupid, it's a waste of money, it's a waste of time. But a magical thing happens when you do that is both people learn the problem they're trying to solve. You have two heads solving the problem, so you solve it faster. You're able to figure out more issues and prevent obstacles and errors because both people are thinking ahead and, and balancing each other. And so we need to do that in marketing too. You know, we can't have product marketing and field marketing and you know, whatever. We need to have marketers that are all working together and all aligned, just like how we are trying to align marketing and sales. And the more you can cross-pollinate your team, the more they can all understand and share knowledge. Yeah. That's extremely powerful. And so I have all my clients create what I call a book of knowledge, which is a giant library of everything everybody knows. And it takes time to build that up. But you know, when we run experiments or tests, the insights from that go into that book of knowledge. When we document new processes, when we have wins from a campaign, when we do something that doesn't work, all that goes into the book of knowledge. And so now we have this extremely valuable resource where everyone can see what have we done? What have we learned? What can we do next time? And it's just a, a resource that grows and grows and grows and helps the team understand and share and collaborate much better. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The idea of if you're going to learn it, learn it once, store that in a book of knowledge. Um, you know, we actually, we've adopted Notion. Have you heard of Notion? I love Notion. You know, I'll Don't tell you, you? I was, I just I was on Trello. I was on Trello for years and I had so much Trello gold from recommending Trello to my clients and getting them <laughs> on there. I had Trello gold free for like, I don't know, five years. Yeah. But I switched to Notion and I am just in love with Notion. I get all my clients on Notion. It is amazing. I'm so glad to hear that because Notion is just absolutely incredible. Yeah. If you're was, listening to this yeah. and you're not on Notion, go right now and get Notion. You will not regret it. Uh, how do you even describe that experience though? Because it, it, it doesn't, I mean, it definitely replaces Google Docs in terms of knowledge storage yes. in a hierarchy of Google file folders and, or God forbid you're on Microsoft, you know? Oh yeah. My clients are on Teams and OneNote Ugh. and all that and SharePoint. Oh, do you charge God, extra yeah. for the clients that have SharePoint? This is a great idea, Casey. I really should. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. I'll give you a commission. That's yes, brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> and I'll I'll bring I'll bring the drinks over to help commiserate with you. Uh, that's amazing. Oh, I, I hate it so much. Yeah, but Notion is amazing. Yeah, for, for anybody who hasn't been on Notion, Notion is very much like Google Docs, but it's uh, very uh, visual, clean, minimalistic, easy to use, but also the depth uh, you can create any kind of setup you want. So, for example. You know, personally, I use Notion for myself to track invoices, to track finances, to track to-do lists, um, to track ideas, what I've watched, books I'm reading. But for my clients, you know, uh, I have lots of different types of clients and some of them use it for uh, project tracking, issue tracking, experiments, results, uh, documents, meetings. Uh, it has templates. There's so, I mean, so much we could go on and talk about Notion, but if you're not using it, you have to be using Notion. Get out of whatever you're using because Notion is way better way more flexible, and it'll make you happy to use it. Yeah, you have this blank sheet, but what's amazing about it is you can you hit slash, a little slash, and then you can basically create any kind of content there. 
whether it's an ordered list or whether it's a, a, an insert or a, a toggle list or a table that links to other, like anything you want, slash or emoji, boom, you can create it. So it's this very smart page. And I'm starting to see, I think Google, Google um, Docs started to add this where if you you see a little slash in there all response yes. to notion i feel like yes microsoft's trying to address that too and i feel like poor notion probably has to get purchased by someone so that they can stay alive because everyone else is going to try to eat their lunch but man have they figured it out they have definitely figured it out yeah and you're right the interconnectivity you can link pages to other pages you can oh, organize yeah. documents and files and sections people can collaborate you can invite external guests and give them limited permissions you know, with my clients, uh, when I'm on a team, we have a team notion, but then, you know, the executives will have a, a private page where just we can keep notes and, you know, talk about sensitive things. So there's just so many opportunities in Notion, and it's just a great place to collaborate. So, yeah, I think, for, like I said, if you're not on Notion, get on Notion. It's you're going to miss in the boat here. Yeah. Shout out to that team. This sponsor, this podcast now sponsored by uh, really, though, it's not, but it should be. Um, it yeah, should we, be. we use it as our, our internal wiki. We um, and you know, a startup I was working with was using it too. And it's like, man, this is, you have an all team. And the thing is the folders are the pages themselves. So if you're trying to nest a bunch of folders in Google drive or Microsoft, the folders are simply that folders. But if you think about, it's like having nested pages, the pages themselves can have pages inside them, you know? So the yes. folders are pages too. And that just cuts down on having a bunch of empty file folders diving deep you maybe only need a couple layers because the folder themselves can are pages and can have data and collaboration. So good. So well, just good. to tie it back to the process here for teams, yeah. you know, one of the things that's valuable about Notion is every person or every, you know, function of the team can have their own kind of dashboard page, which links to whatever they need. So, you know, some of my clients will have, for example, like an interactive department or, or creative department, and they'll have their own area but other people can still look at it and access it, but they can create it, you know, just what they need. And so, and they can share all these documents, share all these pages that you're talking about. So in terms of creating just what that function needs or just what an individual needs, that's where some of the value really shines because, you know, depending if your team is three people or if it's 300 people, you know, it can support that and you can have a customized view. And so from a process perspective, it's invaluable that we can create a process, create pages and documents and tables but now everyone can use it in the way that they need to see it and the way they need to use it. So if, if Casey, if you update something, then I can see it on my side in my own view, in my own way that I need to see it. So it's just wonderful for sharing and collaborating. It makes everything, as you said, so much easier. And to your point, the process now is not hidden in some dark alley. It's visible to everyone in the whole company. And so yes. if you're collaborating with that department, you can learn how they're operating before even diving into it. Or a new person can just go read all the processes. And, and I think, to your point, it, it brings processes out of, well, it brings them to the forethought, right? Like they become part of your active thinking where they should be, not like something you did for homework that you're never going to look at again. It's so true. Yeah. We actually have a, a culture section and an onboarding section usually. Nice. And so, like you said, when someone comes on, they just go through that. And it's got a whole checklist of like, here's who you need to meet with. Here's all the documents. Here's how we operate. Here's all our processes. We record videos even that like walk them through different things. And we put those videos in the Notion pages. So they like, it's like a whole playbook of now we don't have to worry about onboarding someone because the whole thing's a process. And we just say, create a new you know template for them. Boom, put your name in. Now go do it. It's, it's wow. incredible. So good. So good. Uh, now, if I've thought about the skills of the people, I've done my OKRs 
And I've got my racy matrices built, my step zero, my responsibilities. Now am I free to fly about the country and do marketing or is there anything else I need to do? Those are the main things that okay. you need to focus on. So you can start to focus on customers, but there's a trap here, which is this isn't a one and done process, right? Every time you hire someone, every time you grow, you need to keep on top of this. And the reality is when you think about the processes that you have, if you were to just think here and enumerate them and list them out, you may think there's maybe 20, 30, 50, I don't know, but there's probably like 10 times that amount mm. if you really got into the weeds and figured this out. Uh, so there's a lot of work here. So it's not that you can do this in you know 30 days and be done. This is an ongoing process that will never end in terms of how can we continue to optimize and tweak those processes. And so it's creating new processes as you find that. But then, as I just mentioned, tweaking and optimizing the processes that you have, because there's a lot of waste still. And again, many executives I talk to, you know, complain about our budget, budget cuts, you know, we need more budget, we have to prove our ROI. You have plenty of budget, trust me, you're wasting it because your team is not effective because you don't have a repeatable, consistent process and your team isn't upskilled enough to use that budget wisely. So I think rather than focusing on the end of the process in terms of, you know, our performance externally, I challenge you to look internally, look inside, because there's a ton of waste and opportunity for growth there that will trickle down uh, to the results you're seeing or not seeing. Wow. Normally people start with the shots fired, dropping the mics, uh, and then you have to replace the mic. By the way, never drop an actual mic. That's just it's heavy. It's heavy and they're expensive. And then now the DJ's the DJ's pissed at you. Someone did it on a cruise one time. Like, oh, I just did karaoke and he dropped the mic and he broke it. And everyone's like, okay. So now what? Yeah. Yeah. So now who gets to do? Yeah. Don't do that. Don't actually drop the mic. But you dropped the mic just now. So not just at the beginning, but but here you have enough budget. You're just probably not using it. Now I don't know which quote to use. That that's an awesome <laughs> quote right there, man. You have the budget. You're probably just wasting it. And, you know, wrong processes, no processes, things are, there's gaps, I'm sure, or the, the wrong people or the unskilled people on the team to be able to handle that situation. Yeah. So fix those things and you'll probably do just great with that budget. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't, can't name names here, but I'll tell you one of my clients. Oh, name some uh, names. Was it, was it rhyme with, was it rhyme with? <laughs> I can't tell you that. Does it one rhyme with Smoogle? Did. Does it rhyme with uh, Smoogle? <laughs> I love the I'd love to hear you write more. Yeah. Well, Spotify, man, they're going through hell right now. Uh, and that's a whole different conversation. But um, <laughs> yeah, one of my clients, you know, they'll, they'll blow 10 grand in a day uh, and not even blink an eye, yeah. you know, and that's money that they shouldn't have wasted that could have been really valuable to them. And so it's things like that. So it's not just having the process, but the attitude that like, oh, it was 10 grand, no big deal. You know, they need to realize that that's an issue. That's a process issue that why did that happen? Uh, and, you know, whether you're a startup or an enterprise level company, every dollar counts and every dollar, especially in marketing, should be contributing to your bottom line in some way, or at least moving you forward in some way. And so to have this cavalier attitude that, oh, we can't fix it, or, well, we have the best people we have, or, well, process can wait. It cannot wait. This is urgent. And like I said, if you're worried about your performance, if you want to get real growth, I mean, this year is going to be a, a year of massive growth. If you look at the economy, you know, mm. from 2021, a 5.7% economic growth, I think it was the highest in 48 years or something like that. It's insane. So, you know, we really need to focus on growth here and you have to be persistent about this, that the key to that is having a real process and following it. 
Okay. I've got a racy question for you. This is the this is the RACI version of that question. <laughs> who owns this? Who who who's responsible for the for under for setting up the racing in the first place, for starting to document processes? Who is accountable to this? Who owns this? It's a great question. The honest answer is me. It's usually why I'm brought in. It's because they have nobody to do this. Uh, but if you have someone to do this, it would be typically the chief of staff, that level person, or uh, head of marketing operations, you know, someone of that degree. Um, but you need someone who is responsible for people and someone who is responsible for coordinating you know, the activities of marketing. So if you're a VP and you have a big team, if you're a CMO, you, know, you can take ownership of this, but it helps to have someone who can be dedicated to this because it's a lot of grunt work and it's a lot of figuring it out and talking to people. And often when I'm brought into a company, you know, one of the first things I do is I, I talk to everybody. I go around and have a conversation with everybody, understand who they are, what they yeah. think they do, what their job description is, and then how they fit in and what they're actually doing. Because those two things couldn't be further from, the, from reality, you know, what they think they do and what their job says and what they're actually you know, doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And so that's where you know, having someone who works with these people and understands them on a daily basis is typically the right person to do it. And often you know, the CMO or even the VP is too far removed to actually map this out. I mean, they have ownership of it, if you want to call it that, but they're not the one doing it because they don't have all the answers. And who's actually the one doing it on a racy matrix? Yeah, typically if you have a chief of staff or if you have a project manager type person or marketing operations, you know, director, head of head of marketing operations, someone like that would own this and do it and help, you know, facilitate those conversations. And typically I have the team help me build this so the team themselves can contribute. But again, yeah. you have to challenge that because their version of the truth is not the actual truth. Got it. Got it. By the way, uh, killer answer for that one. I'm like, who owns this? And you're like me. I was like, oh man, that's like some sort of like figurative thing of like, if you're listening to this, say me right now. And that means you own this process. We all own this together. But then you're like, no, no, actually it's me, Tim Parkin, because uh, <laughs> that's why I can pay the big bucks because every organization is like, we're all maxed out. We don't have any time. We need someone to come in and do it. Totally makes sense that it's you. Uh, but I got to wonder if it's probably a little bit everyone's responsibility to think about the process as you scale a company. Yeah, and there's often a, an education aspect there. You're right that you know, we have to say, look, we all can't do everything and we all don't want to step each other's toes. So how do we approach this in a reasonable, sensible way? And also, how do we respect each other? You know, we're a team. And if we're going to act like a team, then we have to know you do this, I do that, and I leave you alone when it comes to this type of work. So absolutely, education is a big part of it. Love that. How do we respect each other as a team? Not step on toes. Process is great for that. If you can just map it out, everyone's on the same page. Alignment, alignment you know, sales, marketing, understanding the process is clear then you guys know what each other's doing it's when they have little black boxes and nobody understands yes. the magic going on in the marketing world that's when we get in trouble totally couldn't agree uh, more yeah totally man so this is good stuff uh, so much here i'm sure people's heads are blowing up you you mentioned a book earlier um i think that was in a positive light the uh the checklist yes. manifesto is that something that folks should should check out totally i think it's a really great book like i said it's older and you can get the gist of it from reading the back cover, you know, use checklists, but it goes into a lot of history about the checklist <laughs> and where it came from and why you should use it. Uh, stories of, you know, surgeries gone wrong because people didn't follow a checklist because they thought they were above a checklist. Like I mentioned, airline pilots use checklists. 
the process of adding a checklist to everything you do sounds boring and simple and oversimplified, but it is transformative. And if you actually do it, if you read the book, if you apply it, it'll change your business. I guarantee it. It's funny. It's all on the back cover, but you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's cause we know. We know, but we don't do, yep. but we just don't do it. Right. We know it. We just don't do it. So you just need a, a, a book worth of stories of people screwing it up royally to just, well, it's not surgery, but yeah, I should probably build a checklist for that. Yeah, you should. You probably should. Um, love that. Any other books that are, are kind of hot in your mind right now or you'd like to recommend? I'll tell you my favorite book of all time, which yeah. I've, I've bought for so many people because I say, you know, and I won't make the offer here on the podcast, but in person, I tell people, if you want, I'll buy you a copy of it. And that book is called Do It Tomorrow uh, and Other Secrets of Time Management by Mark Forrester. And it's a book on time management, but I think it has a lot of applications to management, to business, you know, personally, professionally. Um, there's a quote at the beginning of the book that says, to complain about a lack of time is like a fish complaining about a lack of water, you know, a fish in the ocean complaining about a lack of water. We have all the time that we need. And I think in marketing, this is a huge problem too, that we feel like there's so many requests, there's so much we have to do, we don't have the time for it. But if you read this book, um, I can easily say it's changed my perspective on time management. And how I approach things. And uh, there's so many great practical examples and exercises and just a real raw, honest look at managing yourself and other people and teams and projects. And we all need that. So God. my favorite book of all time, easily. Man, killer. Okay. I just pulled it up. You got me sold on that. Damn. Um, are you, are you an audible guy? Are you reading things? Does this thing? I read. You think we're, yeah, I can't or? do audible for some reason. I just, when I work, I can't really listen to music unless I'm doing some mind numbing task. So, you know, typically I can't really listen to stuff, but uh, I listen to, I listen to rainymood.com. That's what I listen to, which is uh, just rain sounds. Oh yeah. That's actually getting, getting real here. Yeah. There's a behind the scenes secret. Yeah. Rainymood.com is amazing. I love, I love rain. I live in Orlando, Florida. And so, uh, you know, we get rain in the summer every afternoon, but beyond that, not too much unless there's a hurricane, but that's what puts me in the productive mood is the noise of rain. Okay. And that's on mood.com. A uh, rainy mood.com rain. Oh, it has its own website Own website. Yeah. Holy crap. And by the way, all these URLs for everyone listening are going to go right in the show notes. So you can just pull up your phone and click on it. You don't have to type it in your browser. Um, but one more book, Casey, while we're on books, yeah, please I'd do. Say, uh, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking up the rainy mood while you, while you say it. <laughs> nice. Uh, Steve Krug wrote a book called don't make me think. And uh, it's a book on usability and the, the examples it's been updated now, I believe, but the examples are amazon.com from, you know, the nineties. Um, but the book itself and the, and the principles in the book are, I think, essential for marketers today still. And it's all about simplification and making things easy for users. And, and it's a lot about user experience, but I think, again, it transcends that if you read between the lines, uh, wonderful book, extremely visual, visual, easy to consume. You can read it on an airplane. Um, and just a book that I've cherished for years. I think still to this day, I see examples of people not listening to it, not following it. So be sure to pick up a copy of that. Can't recommend it enough. Man, I, I can only I make guesses at where that, where it goes with that. Oh, there's a revisited one too. So there is. Yeah. And he has a second one. Is it good? Rocket surgery made easy, which is about doing usability testing, which I think is another thing that uh, is kind of a lost art in the marketing world or just ignored. Oh, wow. Um, definitely should check out both. Rocket surgery made easy. Gotta love those awesome titles. So good. Don't make me think. 
Um, killer, killer. Okay, and I found the rainy mood. You can literally just hit play on this thing. You just hit play. That's it's so simple. Yeah, but it's so wonderful. Oh yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> and it just it just rains. It just constant. Just constant. Yeah. Man, that's. I feel like that's some sort of power move. I'm gonna bookmark that. Nice. <laughs> Good sir, right? This is real talk. This is real talk right now. It is, yeah. That's how we get to the, the real parts. Um, tell me, what are you seeing? Because you, you're so attached to companies that are that are making these changes and, and seeing it live. Do you see anything around the corner, anything out in the future, changes that are happening either at a you know macro or micro scale that you're excited about? You know, kind of give us a little fortune telling. I am so excited. There's so much happening. And one of the biggest things I'm seeing. I've seen it, you know, with my my wife uh, and her account, but also just in general, even B two B is influencers, and influencers sounds like the dumbest thing to talk about. You know, we all know influencers and uh, have been using influencers in our marketing, but it's only going to grow even more. And B two C has been overrun by influencers, and you can find all sorts of partnerships and deals and things like that. Um, but I think we need to think seriously about influencers and taking it to the next level. Because what you see today is that influencers understand your audience better than you do. And they understand the tactics to use to reach that audience and connect with them better than you do. And they can do it more effectively. And so if you're not working with influencers, you need to be. But more importantly, I think companies need to be thinking about hiring influencers. And I mean, acquiring them, essentially. Hire them full-time to work for you and let them still do their own thing on the side or part-time or whatever it takes. Because these people, I think some of these influencers could be CMOs of companies and run the company better from a marketing perspective. That's how powerful I think some of these influencers are. They just have the pulse on the audience and the tactics and the platforms, and they're just absolutely killing it. And even in B2B, we're seeing more B2B influencers. You know, this is not a taboo thing. So if you're not paying attention to influencers, you need to be. And if you're not developing real, authentic partnerships, not just paying them to post, yeah. Develop real partnerships, include them in the process, make them someone who's a part of your brand, a part of every activity you do, really embed them in your organization. This is, is key. It is the cheapest, most effective way to drive real results from a tactical perspective. And uh, it's just complete missed opportunity right now for most people. You know, uh, man, so interesting you bring up influencers. Yeah, this is a really cool topic. And you're right. It is so futuristic. It is actually here now. And it's funny. I'm drinking uh, one of these Bang energy, energy drinks. Have you seen these? I have. Yeah. Have you tried one? No, I haven't. What? Bro. I got to try it. Bro, you haven't tried a Bang energy drink? <laughs> no, I haven't. No. Nope. Okay. The only reason I'm drinking this is because I was on Instagram and there's this cool guy named Destroying. Do you know him? I don't know. You know? Okay. Destroying. He was uh, like a football um, kicker in college and i think he kind of made some mistakes got kicked off a team lost a scholarship and then was working really hard to get it back right and um and now is is like he's trying to get on nfl team but he's like a kicker and and he's really good at instagram man and making on youtube youtube videos and everything and he's just like a cool guy he's like a really cool guy and he's got some cool phrases and man, he was drinking this, this bang energy drink being like, bam, you know, and this, nice. and he was like, he was like, Hey, shop it over at blah, 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 destroying shop here, there, there. And I literally, I tweeted him the other day and, and also bang, just say, by the way, the only reason this like 40 year old guy is drinking bang energy drink is because destroying is drinking. And I thought maybe I'll be a little bit as cool as he is 
Actually, no, I just wanted to try, see what it tastes like. Not bad. Not bad. Nice. You should I'll totally try, try Bang Energy Drink. I recommend this Rainbow Unicorn as a flavor to try out. This is it's sponsored by Notion and Bang Energy. Now. Yeah, Bang. Yeah. Hey, everyone, shop my store over at uh, <laughs> blah, blah, blah dot com. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm, influencers on the B2C side, they're, they're, you know, they've got shops, they've got coupon codes things are happening you got mr beast out there but you're right on the b2b side there's so much opportunity yeah one of my clients actually just launched a video series kind of a show and they're working with an influencer who's kind of the host of the show and it's it's brilliant because you know the host the influencer is doing a lot of the legwork of the you want to drop some names you want to drop some like uh kudos to them or uh, i would love uh, to but i'll i'll with i'll withhold here on the dl uh, okay what's it rhyme right. with? does it rhyme with um <laughs> yoast what does it rhyme with oh okay. i love all these rhymes you're so creative <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the influencer is the host and does a lot of the legwork a lot of the work here uh, you know with the editing and the production uh, and then they get the connections, most importantly, that this influencer has. You know, they're yeah. a well-recognized person in this industry. Yeah. And so now the fact that they're hosting the show for my client makes my client instantly someone to know, someone to pay attention to. And then the distribution of the show, the influencer is helping promote, obviously. So it gets way more traction, way more visibility. So this is what I'm saying about influencers. Companies waste so much money on their own marketing, trying to do it themselves when they don't realize you know, I call it customer proximity. Whoever's closest to the customer wins. And the people who are closest to your customers are the influencers, not you. And so that's why if you can work with them, partner with them, or even buy them, you know, acquire them, you can become closer to the customer. And the second part of that is one of my other clients is in the pet industry. And I love meeting with them because they all have pets, obviously. And so we get on a Zoom meeting or they're, they're on Teams, unfortunately, you know, Teams meeting, you know, they all have their pets. You can see different pets yeah. there. It's really cool. But the, the interesting thing is they are their own customers. I like to say they eat their own dog food, being in the pet industry. Um, and so that's the key because if they develop a new product, if they do marketing, they're the customer. They can say, I would resonate, that would resonate with me. I would like that. That's what you need. And so hire people who are your customers or hire or work with, partner with influencers because those are two really easy ways to get closer to your customer. And again, whoever's closest to the customer wins and you have to have that proximity. Love that, man. Closer to the customer wins. I don't know if this is one of your clients, but uh, one of the things I saw just recently was, uh, do you know about Alice? You heard of those guys? No. Uh, cool, cool company. Um, founders on the show, uh, killer marketing team. Uh, and some of the people I've interviewed in the past on this show all now work there. I'm not going to say it's all me, but um, maybe <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, but uh, they're cool. What they do is they do uh, gifting. So if you want to hook someone up with a gift, nice, you, you can shoot this thing over. I've seen companies do that, but the problem is if you do it wrong with some, some of the other products I've seen, like here's a um, origami set, you know, from this big SaaS startup. And you're like, I don't really, or here's a coffee set. And you like, don't drink coffee because you gave it right. up. You're like, Okay, or I, I guess I can just donate it to charity. But what right. Alice does is they let you go, can I pick something else? And yes, you can. And they have like a thousand other things you can choose from. So when a really cool company gifted me something, I didn't want the USB charger or whatever. So I shopped around. I found this really nice Patagonia warm hat that I could wear. 
I was like, absolutely. Nice. That is something I'm going to be thankful for. And I shot the salesperson a note. Hey, I love this. Cool. So that way you're not forcing them to have your stupid tchotchke. I don't need another water bottle, but man, I'll take a nice little Patagonia hat. Absolutely. I will, you know? And so that's what Alice does. But what they just did is they hired Dave Gerhardt. I don't know if you know him. Have you heard yes, of him? Yes, I do. Yeah. They just hired him to help consult with them on their brand. And they're going to yep. start by having a little kickoff with a webinar. And I was like, great play, man. I commented on the brilliant. Yes. On, I was like, look, he's a, he's a great name. He did great things with drift. He's a badass. I saw him speak once. He shows up with like sweatpants and a hoodie and a water bottle. He's like, <laughs> I just came from the gym. He's like Eminem of marketing. I'm, I'm going to just call <laughs> it out. Right. So brilliant. he shows up yes. and he's like, Hey, what's up? Blah, 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 blah. And these people are just like astounded. There was actually a bunch of older folks in that meeting. So they're all just completely confused, but it was great. It was really great. Um, so I can see them now saying, Hey, Dave, you got, you got your whole network. You got people that listen to you every day. You got, you're an influencer. Tell us what we need to do. And in the meantime, we're just going to just love all this energy we get from just being involved with you. Totally. And it's such a brilliant play. I'm so glad you have that example because the time that you save and the money that you, it's, it's, I'm sure it's an expensive investment, but it pales in comparison to what it would take without that partnership and that credibility and authority and reach that they get. And, and more importantly, the opportunity cost of timing. How long would it take to penetrate that market and get credibility and buy-in and acceptance? And now instantly you can have that. And so this is where companies, especially you know, the larger you are, the more potential this has, but you, even on a small level, you can find people who are, you know, having an influence, having an impact that you can work with and partner with. So brilliant example. Yeah, this is why companies need to do this. And the ones who do it now, you know, the thing is, there's a limited supply of good influencers out there. And so you have to act now because like Dave, you know, he's working with Alice. Well, you can't work with him as a competitor right now, you know, so you got to find those people and partner with them now because there's a short supply of the really, truly great influencers. Yeah. They'll get scooped up, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they get scooped up and then what are you going to do? Yeah. Shout out to uh, Greg Segal, founder, CEO, super badass. He's got an episode on here. If people are interested. They want to, they want to Google that one. That's the best way to find these episodes because there's so many. Uh, but then also Nick Bennett is a super influencer. See, shout out to Alice because I didn't even think about this. Uh, Nick Bennett, I interviewed him because he is one of those guys who's connected to, do you know, Nick? I can interview I've seen him, Nick stuff on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a massive influencer on, on LinkedIn. Like I think 60,000 people following him, something insane. And, and he shared on the podcast, just, you know, Google hardcore marketing and then Nick Bennett, he shared how he does it. And he just, and, and he's no, he's like, I'm not no, no one special. Like I'm just a marketer at a, at a regular company or he was at the time. And I just make a discipline of sitting down and doing some LinkedIn and, and give, give, give. It's not about take. And right. so he, in my mind, he was one of the, the OG, one of the original LinkedIn influencers. Guess what? Now he works at Alice. So now that I'm thinking about it, Alice is actually making the moves first, Nick Bennett, probably some other people. And then now it's like, Dave, Holy crap. I don't know how, how much more you can, you can put that's, that's amazing. Right. Absolutely. And that's, that's very strategic. Like you said, this is not by accident. I'm sure very intentional and kudos to them for having that foresight to see this is how you do it. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not hard. It's not complicated. It's just, yeah. And it's not like it's a trick. Right You're just getting people that know the customer better so you can serve them better. You know, absolutely. Yeah. It's that customer proximity. 
getting close to the customer and, and getting those people who have those insights, who have those connections, who have that understanding, you know, you can, yeah. you can acquire that. You know, we used to think of acquisition as just buying other companies because they have customers. Now this is almost like, you know, people acquisition. I mean, it always has been, but you need to acquire people who have the skills, who have the insight, who have those connections. And you can do that. And too many companies aren't thinking from that perspective, but it's so much easier. And, and like I said, the timing, the, the time that you save is where the real savings is at. Yeah. Love that, man. So cool. This has been such a great conversation. Tim, who are you, man? Take me back in time. I got to know how you know all these things. Did you grow up knowing? Like, Take me back to like little Tim. Did little Tim know he was going to be a marketing really influencer, uh, consultant to the stars, all these things. Did you, did you know that? Or what was it like growing up? Who am I? That's a question yeah. I've been asking for a long time and I still don't <laughs> have an answer. Yeah. No, as a kid, you know, it's funny because as a kid, uh, I was very into technology. I got my first computer when I was probably, you know, six or seven years old, learned to program at a very young age, but, um, I was also interested in magic. And so, you know, I developed a passion for magic from my dad and I was in a magic club at a young age and, I thought, you know, I was going to be a professional magician and that would be my career. And then it wasn't until I was, you know, 12, 14, I realized, wait a second, if you're a magician, you work nights and weekends because that's when everyone has parties and events. And I said, that sucks. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. So I don't want to work that hard. Okay. So I gave real, that. Sorry, real quick. You were in a magic club. I was in a magic club. Was yeah, it, it was SYM? Cool. Uh, it was. Yeah. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Society yeah, of Young Magicians. Totally. Yeah. And, and I think it, it taught me so many things as a kid. I mean, I mean, I think magic is so cool, right? Because yeah. um, you just learn so many skills, you learn kind of public speaking, being in front of people, uh, you learn how to think on your feet because, you know, a trick goes wrong or someone does something you don't expect. Uh, and you learn the discipline of, of process of perfecting something because most people don't realize, you know, I know, you know, Casey, because, because you're into magic too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, yeah most, most people don't realize that like, you know, magic trick, you have to learn the words to say and, and memorize those. Basically, you have to learn the moves of what you do. And then you have to put that all together and do the both at the same time and react <laughs> to whatever people do too. you know, how do you misdirect people? How do you control the situation? So there's so many, I think, fundamental skills that taught me about life and about business and, uh, and how to just be a person, you know, around people. Uh, and give me the confidence to put myself out there. You know, I'm a, I'm a solopreneur. My company is just me. And so you know, putting yourself out there can be difficult, but magic taught me so much about that. You know, there's something about, um, yeah, we, we joked earlier, we're going to talk about four hours of marketing. So here, here it goes. Um, but there's <laughs> something about marketing for overcoming that, you know, stage fright or that, you know, fear of speaking in public, because if you're just speaking, you're probably worried about, you know, f you know, fubbing your words or whatever. But when you're a magician, you're worried about like, I could do something that displays how I do this when the trick doesn't work or they can see how I did it. And then they're like, you're a loser. Get off the stage. Or like, yes, you're ah, terrible. We knew it wasn't real. So I'm not even thinking about like, am I going to screw up or am I, I'm thinking, okay, don't drop the thing. Right. Or don't forget to flip the thing. Um, or they'll, or they'll find me out. So it just right. kind of shifted your focus away from basic level of, you know, fear to like more complicated okay i gotta get this trick right and then you gotta practice it to you know perfect it it's so true yeah magic is like i think one of the hardest hobbies because it exposes all those things you're talking about and like you really don't want to mess up it's embarrassing and it's happened to all of us who are in magic yeah. you know you 
you you don't forget those times because it's so disheartening and that makes you for you know for the successful magicians it makes you work even harder to practice even more and perfect it and prepare you know an out if something goes wrong um but yeah i mean it's been one of the best skills i've developed i think in my life because i still perform magic for clients when i meet them in person you really? at conferences and events when i do networking it just it opens up so many doors and actually a couple of weeks ago, I posted on LinkedIn about magic and I had two people comment on there who I hadn't seen or talked to in 20 years. And both of them said something like, you know, I remember the trick you did for me, you know, and I still think about it. That's powerful. You know, I can't think of a better networking tool uh, or relationship building tool than that. Um, I clearly, I need to talk to these people if I haven't talked to them in 20 years, but <laughs> you know, the fact that they remember me and remember what I did goes yeah. to show the power of magic. What'd you do? You have some favorite networking tricks? Yeah, one of my favorite tricks is called Twisting the Aces. Mm. And it's a card trick. And uh, you can Google it, Twisting the Aces. I think uh, I think it's a Di Vernon trick originally. But um, basically, you start with the four aces face down and you give them a twist. You know, you spin them around. And as you do that, one turns face up. And then you repeat, the next one turns face up. Oh, man, continue. that sounds good. good. It's a good trick. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, I've done it so good. probably thousands of times, right? Because what you realize is, and Seth Godin talks about this, the amateur magicians keep buying new tricks because they have a fixed audience, their friends and family. The professional magicians only do a couple tricks, but they do it with many different audiences. And so I've tried to become more of a professional magician where I only do a couple things. I do them really well, but I'll do them for clients and conferences and et cetera. I like that. A couple tricks really well. Wait, who said that quote? Uh, Seth Godin talks about it. He talks about Seth penguin magic. Which I shouldn't expose here, but Penguin Magic is the site to buy magic. If you want to get started and check out magic, go to penguinmagic.com and uh, find a good trick and buy it and learn it. And just pick one and stick with it and learn it and do it. It'll change Shout your life. Shout out to Penguin Magic. I'd never heard of those guys. This, po- oh, this podcast can now also have another sponsor. What, That's what's right. Up, I'm giving you a lot of opportunities. <laughs> yeah, Penguin Magic. That's cool. You know, back in the day, I think they closed down. It was Hank Lee. Hank Lee. Oh, magic. I remember that. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Do you ever do yeah, one of their that? conferences? No, I haven't. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you? Yeah, it was a uh, Hankley's magic. It was like some kind of, it was like a magic conference. It was on Cape Cod and they booked out a whole hotel. Imagine a whole hotel just full of magicians. Full even of magic eating breakfast, nerds. they're doing yeah. tricks on each other. And I was just a kid, but I was there. And and then they, they'd had, you know, shows every day at night and in, in, in the daytime, in the morning. And then you would actually go to like, conference conference lectures from different people so i remember one on top it and another one on like top it man that's crazy <laughs> oh you remember that yeah yep, and yep. and there was another one um god there's you know different names and they did their thing and they were literally teaching you and you could buy their stuff afterward or whatnot it was the coolest thing just going to a con- i don't think still do those cool. kind of things yeah yeah well um you know, uh, I'm really fortunate here in Orlando. We have uh, some good magicians. So, like you know, that. Michael Amar lives here uh, down in Florida, which is pretty cool. I've met him in person. Uh, Kosha Kimlot, you know, uh, who was on Penn and Teller's show uh, not that long ago uh, is here. I've seen him perform several times. And just, you know, I think what people don't realize is when I talk about magic, I think when you're talking about magic, there's a difference between like stage magic and these big illusions and, and seeing the magic up close in front of you, you know, with like cards or something, coins. And it's a world of difference. And when you see it right in front of you, uh, it's just amazing, remarkable. Um, so yeah. if you have magic near you, go find it. Go, go, go watch some good magic because it, it is really cool to see. 
and it's amazing it's hard because like when you know magic and how it works nothing is really impressive but when you see that one thing that you can't figure out that just blows you away you get kicked back to being a lay person you're like oh, yeah. oh my god what is this world i can't understand how it operates i wonder if you almost appreciate it more right because i think you're you like, do i know the four or five different things you almost like that pen and teller you know they, they try to figure yeah. it out they're probably really stoked when they're like you know what son of a bitch i have no idea what he just did like that's impressive <laughs> i i know every single slight and this and that, that you would normally do and and you didn't do any of that i was looking at i don't know if you do this but i'll look at the wrong spot you know yes, exactly i'm waiting for like the wrong spot to be utilized and i'm like no you didn't use that son well of have God. you ever seen penn and teller in person their show you know i think they might have been at one of these conferences because i feel like i have i feel like i've seen them in person um and i'm not sure why but no have you yeah, because I, I took my wife and I went to Vegas and I took her to Penn Teller. Mm. I said, we have to go see them. I was never really a big fan of Penn Teller um, for a long time. But recently I've become, you know, I really understand them more and I, and I think I really appreciate them. So I went to their show and, you know, it's all the typical stuff. They made like an elephant disappear and, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, but then at the end or near the end, um, they called up a volunteer from the audience. And it was really interesting because they had this guy come up, you know, he's like a ball cap on, long hair. And he sits down and uh, Teller, the one who doesn't talk, you know, uh, hands him this camera and says, you hold the camera, you're going to be the eyes of the audience. And so he's holding the camera and you can see the screen above him of what he's seeing. And so then Teller goes behind this wall and his hands are reaching through the wall, doing different things. And they're, they're fooling this guy because he doesn't know what's going on. You can see what's going on. And then at the end, the guy turned, the audience member sitting up there with the camera, turns to the audience and takes off his ball cap and takes off his wig and starts untaking his jacket. And it was Teller the whole time. It was Teller. And I'm like, my mind just broke. I was like, I saw Teller there. This guy walked up. How is this Teller? And like, it wasn't an audience member. It was Teller in the audience. And I was like, how long has he been sitting there? I, I still to this day, I can't explain how it works. My mind is just completely broken. And like, that's what magic, I think, meant to be like this yeah. disconnect of reality and imagination and what's possible. And just, uh, it just boggles my mind. I'm completely speechless and clueless about what happened that day. Oh, gotta love those, those moments when you just, Ooh, you can't, you can't quite figure it out. So, so, how, so you realize that magic wasn't going to be the career working weekends, working nights. So then it's what off to, off to school for computers. Yeah. I went into software development, which, you know, was something I was really good at and I really enjoyed at the time. And uh, from there I went into video game design development, Wow. Um, built, built a game, um, did some coding there. Get, then got back into like government military simulation, which is basically video games, but 20 years in the past because they're so far behind. Right. Um, did that for a while, did web development. And then, and, you know, I was working in web development, building products for companies. And I realized they don't have a product problem. They have a marketing problem. They're building really cool stuff, but no one cares and no one's hearing about it. And so I said, what am I doing with my life? You know, why, why am I helping write code for things that don't really matter if no one's going to hear about them? And so I thought, let me go into marketing and help these people get the users that they need, get the audience that they need. And so that really got me into marketing. And I found that the technology background, you know, marketing today is synonymous with technology. So that really has helped me tremendously understand and communicate. And then the magic side of it, people and how people think and how they act, that's all that marketing is, is understanding customer psychology and, and getting people to do things or look in certain places and not look other places. You know, so combining those two has been wonderful for myself and for my career and just something I really enjoy. You know, marketing is the perfect marriage of all the things I've been good at and, and really been passionate about. So I love it. Uh, man, that interesting comparison to, to marketing and magic. And, 
you know, and I think there's that the classic thing of mar- marketers are trying to fool people um, or magicians, magicians are trying to fool people. But I don't, I don't know if you re- recall, but for me, it was never really about fooling people. It's kind of about making them smile, you know? Absolutely. Kind yeah, about it's about making their that, day. Totally. About an experience. And I think that's what we try to yeah. do in marketing is deliver a memorable, unforgettable, uh, enjoyable experience. Yeah. And that's what real marketing, uh, real magic is about. You're right. It's not about I'm smarter than you. Look at me. I fooled you. Right. I mean, some marketers take that approach. Some magicians take some that magicians, approach, but yeah. not the ones that last for a long time. It uh, really is about let's we're in this together. Let me share this and let me leave you with a smile on your face. I love the Zig Ziglar quote that says, you know, if you see someone without a smile, give them yours. And I think that's really what magic and what marketing should be about. Man, you're just so cool. Video game designer, magician, marketer. Oh, I can so, juggle so too. T- talk a little bit about what you're doing now. You're you're consulting with folks. The, for a lot of the marketers listening, you know who's a right fit to work with you. That kind of thing. Absolutely. So I'm an advisor to global marketing executives of, of big teams, typically, but I work with companies of all size, and I like to say I help them transform their marketing team from chaos and insignificant growth to a real high performance team with reliable processes that consistently deliver record-breaking growth and results. And as you've heard so far, you know, there's a lot of fundamental issues within teams. And I believe that it really is about fundamentals. And so if you have a team of any size and you feel like you don't have the fundamentals in place, or you feel like there's opportunity to improve that, I can help you do that. That's what I do with my clients every day. In addition, you know, the next level beyond that is experimentation and mm. pushing growth even further. And a lot of my clients, especially the bigger ones, are looking for that. How do we develop a process of innovation, of testing, of experimentation, you know, this test and learn approach um, to get better results from what we're doing and to find new opportunities? And so I have a whole process I've created called test-driven marketing, which is a strategic approach to testing and experimentation. And I, I truly believe that you know, once you get your fundamentals in place, you have your processes, the next step is experimentation. You have to test because it's like being in a maze, right? Like if you want to get from point A to point B, you have to find all the ways that don't work in order to get out the exit. You can't just, right. there's no silver bullet that just leads you through straight through to the end. And so you have to test. Your industry is different. Your, your audience is different. Your services and products are different. You have to find what works for you. And it's a moving target because marketing is always changing. So if you have fundamental process issues, if you have a team that could improve, or if you want to reach new levels of growth, those are the things I help my clients do. Man, uh, one thing that you said really stuck out, the idea of consistently delivering growth. I think oftentimes we test something and something cool happens, but then next quarter we're kind of back to, like you said, every day feels different, every quarter feels different, but the idea of being consistent in delivering that growth, that's really the game changer. Being consistent in delivering innovation, not just you hit your head, you created a flux capacitor, yippee. No, no, no. We need back to the future one, two, and three. So you got to deliver yes. every time. That's what the, where the real magic is, I think. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, Casey, because this is why CMO's tenure is so short, right? They're brought yeah. in to fix things, quote unquote, and then they can't in the short time frame. We need to think long term, but we need to act short term. And I think consistency is a big part of that. And too often, you know, like right now, a good example, a lot of my clients are seeing huge success on TikTok. That's wonderful. That's great. Is TikTok the answer? No. Is it a silver bullet? Absolutely not. And next year, it won't be the new cool hip thing. I think we're going to see a new social network this year. Um, just spoiler alert. What's um, it called? A whole, 
I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. What's it rhyme with? <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, TikTok is only going to last so, so long. And yeah. We put all, all of our eggs in one basket and we don't develop a process of continuing to improve our processes, our performance, our innovation, our testing capabilities. We need to do that. Like you said, consistency and predictability are two of the biggest missing elements in most marketing organizations. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, now I need to throw a hypothetical at you because I may or may not have a time machine up here in New Hampshire. So you come visit, right? Not, well, it's cold now. You might freeze unless you like know how to ski. You come visit at some point in the summer, get some lobster, get some beer. You get to use the time machine, right? And it's a particular kind of time machine. It takes you back in time and you get to meet yourself a few days after graduation, a few days after that IT degree, before you've maybe made some of the, the jumps and leaps to all the different paths that you've taken so far. You get to talk to that version, that, that Tim. What kind of things would you tell him? Would you give advice or recommendations? What would you say? There's this really interesting interview with one of my heroes, Bill Murray. And he talks about this drunken call he gets in the middle of the night. And I believe it's his sister or his sister-in-law or something to that effect. And she's just rambling you know, to him. And he's like, this call wasn't meant for me. And she says something. She says, Bill, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but it's Bill, you have no idea how far you could go and what you'd accomplish if you only tried. And I think that's the advice I would give to myself, you know, going back in time. Uh, and, and hearing that video, listening to that, it gives me chills every time because it's just remarkable advice that I think we all need to hear. So much of what we do personally and professionally, you know, we doubt ourselves. We're told by, you know, what's around us, social media, the competition, colleagues, our bosses, that we can't do it, that we're not equipped, that we don't have the skills. You have to believe in yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, my mentor says the first sale is to yourself. And if you can do that, if you can really believe that anything is possible, that you can do it, you can figure it out. You know, we have access today to all the information, all the YouTube and Google and all that. It's not a matter of knowing what to do or how to do it. It's a matter of truly believing in yourself. And uh, where I've come from, from where I started is a remarkable journey. And, you know, I'm highly successful and, and that's all wonderful. But we all need that to keep going farther. And if I had known that, if I had believed that much sooner, I can't imagine where I'd be today. And so I think that we all need to just embrace that, that it is about self-esteem and self-worth and self-belief, that we're all capable of so much. And you listening to this, you know, you can do so much more than you're doing right now if you just believed in yourself and took action. So sorry to be a little bit woo here, but I really believe that this is paramount to all of us, to our excess, success. And even professionally, you know, in your marketing team, your team can do a lot more, you know, if you only believed it was possible. Don't have a limited mindset. It's it's killing you. You're personally, professionally, in your performance. You know that, that we always have that. We're, we're familiar with the fear of success or the fear of fear of failure, but it's that fear of success. I, I think sometimes we're always worried about other people trying to get in our way, but we often will get in our own ways more. I've done this plenty of times. The idea of, you know, what what if I do try my best and it doesn't work. Does that mean something about me? And so which case I'm just only going to give it 50%. So if it doesn't work, well, Hey, I didn't quite give it all. So it's not me lacking. It's just the situation, but, but you gotta, you gotta get, get out of that mode, right? You gotta, Hey, I love that quote though. If you only tried amazing things and to have your drunk sister tell you that what a moment. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing to think, you know, when I was young and naive, I quit my job to start a business and my parents were scared for me and I didn't even think about it. You know, I was young and naive as whatever. Um, when my wife and I were first married, we started traveling every year internationally. 
we did it for many years until you know we had our daughter uh and we were young and thought why not and now looking back you know those are two defining mm -hmm. moments in my life that you know we didn't think about what could go wrong or is this the right idea we just did it and uh you know we didn't think we didn't have the opportunity to hesitate and i think too often to your point we put up all these walls around ourselves well i can't do this or i'm not ready yet or we don't have the people to do this or now is not the right time just do it you know believe in yourself believe in what's possible uh, we have so much opportunity and and here in the western world we're so privileged you know we have we have so much privilege that we don't realize so just you know take advantage of what you have and don't overlook it and don't stop yourself you know uh, don't say no for someone else um you know on, on your behalf give yourself that opportunity and just say yes and do it yeah normally we have regrets for not doing things you know more nine times out of ten it's because we didn't do something so yeah go for it absolutely go for it what what more can you accomplish and get done? Amazing. Amazing. Good stuff, man. Well, dude, where can people connect with you? Because they're probably dying right now. They forgot. They just clicked on the links already. And they're already there. They're already looking at your website. But like what platforms can people go to? Where do you want them to reach out? What websites? All that. Yeah, thank you. Three things. One, you know, my website, timparkin.com. You can find me there. Contact me. You know, see all the articles I've written for you know, uh, contributed to Adweek, AdAge, Inc., TechCrunch, Forbes, all that good stuff. Second, LinkedIn. I'm posting there almost daily. Check me out on LinkedIn. A lot of great stuff. Would love to connect and uh, be uh, provide value there. But third, most importantly, you know, I have what I call my vault, which is access to all my videos, templates, worksheets, playbooks, all my intellectual property. Um, anything I've done, and this is the stuff I share with my clients as well, and it's free. There's no sales pitch. There's nothing to buy. And if you just text me, text the word GROW to 844-311-3200, you'll get free access to all that stuff. I keep adding to it you know, every month or so. So would love to right, share What is that, that again? Uh, GROW, text the word GROW to 844-311-3200. Yeah. God, you're so fast, man. I know people can rewind, but okay, 844-311-3200. Okay. All right. There we go. Sweet. So, so you text that and then it'll, it'll give you a link and it'll get you access to. Yes. Yeah, so ask for your email, put in your email. It'll send you the link to all that good stuff. Sweet. All right, man, I'm in. And we'll put information on that down in the show notes for everyone else. Um, such a cool time, man. Thank you so much for coming on here. I literally had a blast. Uh, I feel like we'll probably have to have you come back in a little bit and, We'll check in and we'll just talk magic. We'll have a magic special. We'll put a warning on the title. It should be like, no, <laughs> we're just talking magic today. Or maybe we'll just talk magic and marketing the whole time. I don't know. Uh, but wonderful. Tim, man, I really appreciate you coming on here. Wonderful conversation. Super enjoyable, Casey, and much needed. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. For those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did because I have front and back notes over here, and I literally ran out of space probably an hour in and I'm in the margins. I'm in the side. I have no space left on this paper, but I've learned a ton from Tim today. So if you have to share this episode with someone else, that's how you are a thought leader, thought leader to one person, two people, 300 people, just get great information. Like what Tim was talking about with step zero, the racy chart, um, man, we finally learned about it. OKRs. Maybe it was your first time. Maybe it was a refresher, um, upskilling your team, pair programming, Notion. Shout out to those guys. So much great stuff here. Share this episode with someone else, and then they will thank you forevermore. And with that, and Tim. Casey, also, thanks, one last thing. Oh, oh, if more? you're listening to this, stop, go right now, 
and leave a five-star review on this podcast. Oh, Casey yeah. does one of the best podcasts on marketing here, has amazing guests and does a wonderful job of pulling out all these insights. So I know all the hard work that goes into this. And if you've enjoyed listening to this, which if you're listening now, you have, stop right now, go and leave a five-star review. Uh, Casey deserves it, would appreciate it. I would appreciate it. And it'll nice. help more people hear this valuable content. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, you can come back anytime if you're going to say that at the end of every show, for sure. Always. Uh, <laughs> well, dude, this, is, this has been awesome. Um, and for everyone out there, this has been another exciting episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. 